you would turn with me or listen along to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I know verses 16 and 17 go together, uh, and perhaps I'll read them together, but uh, the sermon text concerns only verse 16, and next week, Lord willing, we will look at verse 17. And hear the word of God, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the message of the gospel. And again, let us say that we are not ashamed of the gospel, at least not in our better moments. And we pray that through the preaching of this message that we would be better prepared and better equipped to be able to say these very things with Paul. And that you would give us the very spirit and and indeed the very reasons which enabled him to say this confidently, even to the point that he was indeed killed for the gospel. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've uh, concluded the introduction, verses 1 through 15. Uh, the personal greetings and, uh, and, and Paul's view of the church and of his own ministry and of the people. Uh, but now we've come to the matter, the, the argument of the epistle that Paul uh, is going to unfold for the remainder of the epistle. And verses uh, 16 and 17 state the matter for us. They're uh, what you could call either the summary statement or the thesis statement of the letter. And having stated that central idea concerning the gospel of justification or the gospel of righteousness by faith, Paul will then go on uh, in verses 18 to the end of the book to expound upon the thought which is stated here. And so we've come to the great statement, verses 16 and 17. They sum up what he's going to tell us, and he also here tells us why he is going to tell it. Why this is the matter, if you think of what I was saying in prior sermons, that these Christians needed in order to be strengthened and established in their faith. And we might here notice the sequence of thought, which begins not really in verse 16, but in verse 14. Paul says in verse 14 that I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. He's a debtor that is to preach the gospel to all men, as we saw last time. This is something that he was bound to do. He was enlisted, uh, as he says in verse 1, into uh, God's service to preach the gospel. Verse 15, he says, I'm eager. So much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to those, to you who are in Rome. I'm eager or I'm ready to do this. Do not under, misunderstand what it means for me to be in bondage or to be a debtor to Greeks and barbarians alike. This is something he wants to do. And the reason for his readiness to preach the gospel to all men alike is stated in verse 16, which is our present verse. And that is because he's not ashamed of the gospel. Next, we see in the sequence of thought that he is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. Also in verse 16. And then the last uh, peg to complete the sequence, he tells us why it is the power of God. And that is because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Verse 17, which we will consider next time. And so verses 14 through 17 go together. They are a complete statement and picture of Paul, the apostle, who wished to preach the gospel to those who were in Rome. But as we find ourselves now at verse 16, within that sequence, 
What I want to notice here especially is his disposition with regard to the gospel. And to see Paul as an example not only for the minister, certainly he ought to be that, but for the Christian. Again, in the way that he felt about the gospel. And uh, what I would say here, summing up the thought of this verse, is simply that the gospel is not something to be ashamed about. It's the main idea for us to consider this morning. And what we see first is that Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Again, he's telling us how he felt about it. I'm ready to preach it. I will preach it to anyone, anywhere, any place. And that is because I'm not ashamed of it. Again, you see the two thoughts go together, verses 15 and 16. The reason he's ready is because he's not ashamed. And again, the reason he's not ashamed is because it's the power of God. The reason it's the power of God is because in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Well, Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And as I said, uh, we have now sung that twice, hopefully from the standpoint of faith. We have said something which to God in, in praise that we really do believe Yet I would say that this kind of statement to say I am not ashamed of the gospel constitutes in many ways a crucial test of our profession as Christians. What we are discussing in particular is the gospel of Christ. That is uh, the object. What he is not ashamed of is the gospel of Christ. But just as soon as we put it that way and we realize that we're talking about the gospel the question that we might ask ourselves as a kind of test is how do you feel about it? Because you see, it is not enough in, uh, in many ways just to say that you agree with it. The gospel has been preached and you agree with it. Well, that isn't enough. Do you remember what our Lord said in Mark chapter 8? Uh, let's see, verse 38 and I believe uh, you find the same thing in Matthew chapter 10. Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Not 10, it was Matthew 10 that I just said and confused myself. Mark chapter 8. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of of his father with the holy angels. That is what faith is. It isn't just an intellectual assent. But it is a, an agreement. Uh, to the point that it enables us. To be able to say this. Faith expresses our disposition. Towards the gospel. And what God wants to know. Is Jesus is expressing. In Mark chapter 8. And what the last day will reveal. About us. With respect to the gospel is whether there were any feelings of shame. How did we feel about it? Was there any hesitancy to own the gospel? And to proclaim it before men. And so when Paul is saying this, he's saying the gospel, if we were to invert the idea, the gospel is something I'm happy about. The gospel is something I'm proud of. It's something that I will boast about. Others might reject it. They might be ashamed of it. Or they might be afraid of what believing it will bring into their life. But for my part, Paul says, I do not have any feelings of shame or reser reservation with respect to the gospel. It is the one thing in the world that I am most proud of. And the thing I want people to know about most, come what may. 
My confidence in it is absolute for reasons that he will later state. But for now, the first and in many ways the central assertion I am making here is that every Christian should be able to say this without reservation. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But then uh, having said that, recognizing that Paul felt this way and that we should feel this way as well, the question which we might have is why he would have to put it like this. Why state the matter in the negative? Why not just say, I'm proud of the gospel as he does in other places? Why negatively say, I'm not ashamed of it? Galatians chapter 6.14 is an example of the opposite. Where he says, his boast is in the, in the cross of Christ. Well, there are many important reasons for putting it this way. The first and most obvious reason is that he says, I'm not ashamed. The reason he says it is because many people are. So many people are ashamed of the gospel. And against that tendency, Paul is stating as boldly as he can that he isn't. And this is something, again, if you take this statement together with what was said in Mark chapter 8 or Matthew chapter 10, something that the last day will reveal. Those who are ashamed of the gospel. Christ says, I will be ashamed of you. But again, the simple fact is, which both statements assume, whether what Christ says or Paul said, many are ashamed of the gospel, even professing Christians. In fact, when you think of what the gospel is, and we'll consider what it is, uh, some in this sermon and much, much in the sermons to come, you will realize that there is nothing in all the world that makes people ashamed quite like the gospel. In, the, in preaching the gospel, this is what we find, that there is a universal tendency to be ashamed of it. This is something that Paul goes into detail about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. How he discovered in the preaching of the gospel that it was ridiculed by the world. To the Jew on the one hand, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a stumbling block. To the Greek, it was folly. Rather than finding it to be the wisdom and the power of God, which Paul boldly asserts that it is to the world, it was folly and it was weakness and it was shameful, you see. And so the sense of what uh, Paul is expressing in 1 Corinthians 1 and what he discovered in preaching uh, to Roman people, people I mean who were in the Roman Empire, is that most of them really would have been ashamed to be associated with this teaching. And especially with the one about whom the teaching uh, declared, and that is Jesus Christ. Compared to the great and lofty philosophies of the day, and even in the mind of the Jew, compared to the teaching of the Old Testament, it had no standing next to these. It lacked prestige in the appearance of wisdom. And again, people were ashamed to be associated with it. Another reason is that the gospel is weak and beggarly. It doesn't just appear to be weak and beggarly. It is. It is not clothed as it comes to us, whether through scripture or in the preaching or in the lowly form of a servant through the man named Jesus of Nazareth. It does not come to us with the appearance of wisdom and grandeur, but it comes to us always in the form of weakness. If you look at Christ in the Gospels, you see this. If you look at Paul as he comes and preaches to people, I came to you trembling and weakness. If you look to scripture as well, again and again, what you notice is a system which, by the standards of the world, does not live up. 
Augustine, after being trained in the wisdom of Cicero and of the philosophers, when he opened scripture, do you know he was first disappointed? Can this really be the wisdom of God? Well, that was his first impression, and that's the impression that many have. There's the Greek, you might say. What about the Jew? Well, think of Paul. Paul himself had to reckon with this, the mighty Jew. What he discovered in order to become a Christian was not that he went from height to height, that he was elevated from his status as a Jew, but that he was utterly knocked down. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that in order to become a true Christian, that it was necessary to become a fool for Christ's sake and nothing less than that. To be an object of ridicule and scorn in the eyes of the world. And you see, this is the kind of thing that brings with it the tendency to feel uh, feelings of shame. And there are many who are simply too ashamed uh, to do this. How few there are, like Paul, who are willing truly, and Augustine later on, to glory in the shame itself. And to associate ourselves with the dying Savior. And to link our destiny with his. However weak, however beggarly in the eyes of the world. Power clothed in weakness. Not power clothed in power. That is not how the gospel comes to us. But here is the reason many are, uh, not just many, but I should say most, are tempted to be ashamed and are ashamed. And so Paul has to put it this way quite deliberately. So many are ashamed, but I am not. The next thing I would say is that the gospel arouses antagonism. Men are not only ashamed of Christianity, they detest it. And certainly that is the thing which is becoming uh, all too clear to us in the present day. It is the way men not only differ with Christians, but they hate Christians and they hate the message which Christians proclaim. There is nothing about the message of the gospel that man will tolerate. But it is especially offensive to the pride of man. And man will not tolerate in his sin anything that knocks him down. Anything that tells him he is nothing in the eyes of God. That he needs a savior other than himself. Man who loves to glory in self through the preaching of the gospel is robbed of every pretense. Every pretense of pride. Every pretense of strength. Every pretense of wisdom. And again, it's, we, we tell him it's only by becoming a fool for Christ's sake that you can be saved. And you see how offensive that is to the pride of man. But the greatest reason that Paul said this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I've been describing more or less the disposition of the unbeliever. But the greatest reason he said this in preaching to the Romans is because there is always a temptation for Christians to be ashamed of the gospel. People who have believed it, people who have experienced its power, nevertheless, through the various pressures that they face, face from the world, to become, in one way or another, ashamed. All of the forces, forces conspiring to make the Christian feel ashamed of the gospel, the forces, I mean, that I've just been describing, present in the world. And many do. There are many Christians who are ashamed of the gospel. Many Christians who are confronted with the pressures and the hostilities, and they begin to cave. They begin to feel ashamed. In other words, the disposition which uh, they have does not resemble Paul's. Uh, and this is where the passage which I read earlier comes in, Second Timothy chapter one. I hear that feedback too. I don't know where it's coming from. I'm just going to keep going. Second Timothy one. What does Paul say to Timothy? 
He says, don't you be ashamed of the gospel. And remember that Timothy was the sort of man who was timid. And so both of the the epistles, you find Paul speaking to him along these lines. But uh, the point is, in speaking to Timothy, here was a preacher of the gospel. You recognize that he's saying, I know that because not only of the hostility and the ridicule of the world, but especially, I suppose I should have said this earlier as well, because of the prospect of suffering, that there will be a tendency and a temptation at times to feel shame. He says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me, his prisoner, again, associating with that which is weak and lowly. But share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. For this reason, I'm skipping down to verse 12. I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. So often we find not just our pride, but our circumstances through the gospel are knocked down, that our life is not enhanced, but that it is hindered. And it's for these reasons that Christians along the way begin to wander and to cave and to feel ashamed. But here is the real danger. When we begin to give in to these feelings, it's not only that we are cowardly when we ought to be courageous and we ought to be courageous for a savior like Christ. But it's actually, the the real danger is that once we begin to cower in the face of the pressures, we begin to accommodate the message itself in order to minimize the offense and the feelings of shame. In other words, in order not to be ashamed of the gospel, what we have to give up is the gospel. This is how Robert Haldane puts it. It is, in fact, the fear of opposition and contempt that often leads to the corruption of the gospel. The reason men today are accommodating the gospel left and right and everywhere you turn. The reason the gospel is not being preached in all of its fullness and all of its glory today is because men are ashamed of the gospel. More and more what we find being preached as the gospel is no gospel at all. It is being clothed in the garb of today's issues. Most often, uh, let me just say in the name of social justice. And the result is that the offense is taken right out. There's nothing shameful about the message. It's made palatable for the world's consumption. But you see, if that's how the gospel is preached, there's no need to make this statement. If we're not preaching in such a way that the temptation is to feel ashamed in the eyes of the world, it's because the gospel we're preaching looks different than Paul's. This reminds me of Luther's axiom. Preach in such a way that the people either hate you or hate their sin. Yet how many, as a result of today's preaching, love both the preacher and their sin? And so we see that Paul had very good reason to put it like this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He was preaching in such a way that there was a temptation to be ashamed. Just as uh, Dave Stevens is saying in, in Sunday school, if you're not preaching the gospel in such a way that people ask, well, do I even have to obey since I'm justified freely by his grace? It's the same thing here. If there's no temptation to be ashamed in the eyes of the world, you might very well ask, is he even preaching the gospel? But in order for this to be true, obviously, we must know what the gospel is. For there are many false gospels. 
And most, it would seem, are rather proud of their false gospels. Again, that is one of the immediate indications that we are dealing with a false gospel. It's the, it's the lack of any tendency to feel or to arouse shame in the heart. But let me tell you next why Paul wasn't ashamed. And there's two reasons. The first is because he knew what the gospel was. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says. And knowing what the gospel was, and if we knew it like him, we would be able to say the same thing. And I realize that may be obvious. Of course, Paul knew what the gospel was. But again, is there anything the church is less clear about today than the gospel? Is the church, if I could put it another way, preaching the gospel in such a way that it's clear to the world, that the church knows what she means? Recently, uh, this week, I read uh, this quote that I want to share with you. I think it, it sums up the issue perfectly. And this man was addressing the issues of social justice as they're confronting the church. But here was his response. He said, the most pressing issue within the church is not critical race theory or denominational politics. The most pressing issue is biblical illiteracy and the sad reality that countless professing Christians don't know what the gospel is or why they believe it. In other words, there are very few Christians today, he's saying, who are in the position of Paul here, who can say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know what the gospel is and I know why I believe it. So many today in the church, and I'm including ministers, stand in a totally different position than Paul here. They cannot say what Paul says because they do not know even what the gospel is. The problem I am saying today is not that men are ashamed of the gospel. It's actually that there's no temptation to be ashamed in a setting where the gospel is not known truly, which is the result, as he says. And I don't even remember the name of the man, but it's the result, as he says, of biblical illiteracy. People do not know their Bibles. And it's also because they're focusing on the wrong issues. They're defining sin and they're defining salvation, not as the world does or or as the Bible does, but as the world does. And so they arrive at a view of sin and arrive at a view of salvation, which they call the gospel, which looks awful like uh, an awful lot like the world's. Well, what is the gospel? Let me just briefly summarize it as we find it here, although we're just beginning to consider it. And we'll have the whole course of the book of Romans to unfold and expound the idea and answering this question, what is the gospel that Paul wasn't ashamed of? According to Paul's definition here in verses 16 and 17, it involves two things primarily. He says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, verse 16. And second, it is the power of God unto salvation because in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Verse 17. And so it involves power and righteousness. And uh, we will only briefly consider the idea of power today, uh, next week, Lord willing, that of righteousness. But that's Paul's definition. It involves power and righteousness, the power of God, the righteousness of God. And these are things he tells us that are made manifest Or made available and clear to man only in Jesus Christ, who is the gospel. The gospel is about him. He calls it here the gospel of Christ. Not the gospel of man, but the gospel of Christ. The gospel tells us about him. It's an account of facts which concerns his life, his death, his resurrection, 
the good news of, uh, of salvation, which is found in his name. That's what the gospel is. Just as we saw in verses three and four of chapter one concerning uh, the gospel of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, that is his humanity, his entry into this world and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Again, the gospel concerns the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it tells sinners to find power and to find righteousness in him from God. So Paul knew what the gospel was. He understood man's dilemma, as we'll soon see, beginning in verse 18. He understood what sin was. He also understood what the good news in the face of sin was, which he begins in chapter 3, verse 21. But he's summing it all up here. But the second reason he wasn't ashamed is because not only did he know what the gospel was, but he knew what it was capable of. It is again, you see, he is saying in verse 16, the power of God to salvation. The gospel, he is saying, is the power. It doesn't contain the power. It is the power. If you want to know the power of God unto salvation, you can only find it in the gospel. And it is only conveyed through the preaching of the gospel or through the message itself. The power of God on behalf of man in saving him. Power unto salvation for all who have faith. This is again what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And let me just reread a few of those verses. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verses 23 through 25. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In other words, if you think of what Paul is saying in both of those passages when he says, I'm not ashamed of it because it's the power of God and the salvation. He's saying in essence that he isn't ashamed of it because he knows that it works. It's a very simple summary. That's how Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it. Because it works. He knows that anyone at all who believes this message will be saved. It is the gospel of Christ. The message of salvation that is found in him. And there is no one for whom it doesn't work. In other words, he's absolutely certain that it works for everyone. Anyone who has faith. And the reason it works for everyone is because it's God's power. Of course, if salvation depended upon man or if it was a display of human power and human might, that would not be true. But because it is God's power that is contained and conveyed in the gospel and his power is universal and unlimited, it is for everyone. And you see, Paul is not just saying that, that it is the power of God, but it is the power of God for everyone. That's why he's not ashamed to the, to the Jew first, but also the Greek. Well, what is he saying there? He's not beginning once again to make distinctions. We've already seen that's ruled out in the prior sermon. But he is describing rather a redemptive historical process that is being worked out now that Christ has come. Specifically, 
the manner in which the power of God becomes manifest and available unto salvation to the one who has faith. Well, it becomes available to the Jew first, obviously, because Christ came to the Jews. But also to the Greek, he says, you see, he isn't excluding the Greek. He's including the Greek. The gospel is meant for him, too. And so both are included. Yes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek, the power of God to salvation to all who have faith. And so the point is, Paul is saying, as he's preaching to those who are in Rome, you see, not those who are in Jerusalem. That the Gentiles are now being caught up in this process. The power of God has come even to them and is at work in their midst. Power to save the revelation of the righteousness of God. Verse 17. And what we ought to recognize is that grasping this is the only thing that will ever diminish or even eradicate any tendency to be ashamed. It is the recognition simply that the gospel works and that it works for everyone. That God is doing something, in other words, that is worth boasting about. Add to this the fact that there's nothing else that works. Man cannot do it. Not even the law can. Now that sin has entered in, the law is characterized, Paul says, by weakness. As he'll later say in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do. That it was in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see, not even the law can do it, Paul is saying, but the gospel can. The gospel works when nothing else does. And when you realize that you'll be like Paul, you won't be ashamed you will realize that the gospel is true power. The power of God brought to bear upon the human situation and the human dilemma. It is not, as with the philosophers, mere speculation or mere talk. As Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power. What does he mean? Again, the preaching of the gospel is more than a pleasant thought. The preaching of the gospel actually does something. It is able to revolutionize a man's whole existence. It's able to change him and to make him a new creation. And most importantly, it is able to reconcile an alienated sinner to an angry and wrathful God. And what is better than that? If I possess something that's able to do that, it's something that I would want to talk about. And it's certainly not something that I would be ashamed of, would I? Once I recognize what it can actually do. And let me say this beyond that. If it is the power of God, that means it not only has the ability to reconcile me to God, but it also means that the power, once it is begun, can never be undone. That the power of God is something that coming into a man's life can never be taken out of it. The power of God, you see, recognizing we're speaking of that attribute which belongs to God and is being brought to bear upon man through the gospel is certain and invincible and irrevocable. Once the power comes into a man's life, nothing is able to stop it. The power now at work in you, begun, will bring you straight into heaven. 
There isn't anything in the world that can stop it. And if you think of what Paul is describing in the book of Romans, you will see that is one of the important high points in this book. Not simply the fact that now as a Christian I'm reconciled to God. But the fact that because of that, there is nothing now that can separate me from that love. There is nothing that can undo that purpose. And there is nothing that can keep that purpose from being realized in me. Romans chapter 8 verses 28 through 30. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also, he also justified. But he doesn't stop there. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. That's the power of God unto salvation. It includes this very full uh, conception of salvation. Nothing less than the fullness of salvation as we'll find it in heaven at last. The last thing I would ask is this, and that is how do men come to experience this power? And you notice that Paul is also saying this as well. He tells us how it comes to pass in a man's life so that he is affected powerfully by the gospel. Verses 15 and 16 taken together again. So as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And so the way that we come to experience the power of God in the preaching of the gospel, which is the setting forth of the message, which is the power, is simply by faith. Which is the only way, if you understand the message, any man ever could hope to experience the power. The power is received only when it is believed. Which you you realize is that the message is the gospel is the power of God. And once you see that, and it's also a revelation of the righteousness of God. And when you see that, you recognize that God is not calling man to do anything. The message is rather he has done all. He has powerfully wrought salvation. He has revealed the righteousness which man lacked. And he is offering it all to man freely without price in the gospel. And the goal of the preaching of the gospel is simply to make that unmistakably clear. And you see that being the case, what the gospel is. There is only one thing left for man to do in the face of such a message. And that is to believe it and to believe it gladly. What I mean is that, again, going back to an earlier thought, it isn't just an intellectual assent. I suppose I agree with that. But it's more like a happy and proud acceptance. I could never boast in myself, but I could boast in this. And there's nothing I would rather be than reconciled to God through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you gave me the option or the alternative to be brought into heaven through my own righteousness or as a sinner through the righteousness of Christ, I can say without hesitation, I would choose To be brought into heaven in this manner. No, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Any man who has believed the gospel will be like Paul. He will be able to say what Paul says here. This is a power I know well. For I have experienced it and I am happy about it. It is a righteousness equally that has been revealed to me. Because I have been justified by it. Not by my own, but by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
And so, no, I'm certainly not ashamed of the gospel. I glory in it. I make it my boast. And I want everyone to know about it. That is what the Christian is like, beloved, who knows what the gospel is. And oh, that we might, through a study of the book of Romans, be clear about the gospel. Amen. And let us come now to the table.